welcome into the latest edition of The Sharpshooters, and in just a moment, we'll be joined by my good friend, Andy Roth, who you can follow on Twitter at ARHoopTalk. And this podcast, as always, is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game. And if they do, you will claim $100 in in free credits. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And with that in mind, let's turn to Andy Roth. And Andy, uh, we're down to the final four. No, not NCAA. We're down to the final four in the NBA. And I always have this running argument with a good friend of mine. Listen, I love hoops. I don't care if it's high school. I don't even care if it's women's hoops, to be honest with you. But the NBA is where it's at. And, you know, this guy, uh, I won't say say names. He always argues that oh, college basketball is better than the pros. No, it's not. It's a feeding ground for the pros. Um, and I love college basketball. Don't get me wrong. But the NBA is the top level. And I know you agree with me on that. Yeah. I mean, I like the college game, too. But I wa- like watching elite talent. Right. And with all the one and dones now, you know, you don't have that elite talent in college like you did years ago when guys would play into their senior season. Absolutely. Okay. So we're recording this on Monday night. We're, we're down to the final four teams. Uh, looks like Phoenix is going to advance on. They have a three, one lead over the Clippers. The Clippers obviously playing without Kawhi and the other conference in the East it's uh, Milwaukee with a nice win at, uh, at Atlanta last night. They're leading two games to one. And now Trey young, who's going to be iffy at best for game four because of what they're calling a bruised ankle. They thought it was it might be worse than that, but it's still a pretty uh, hard injury maybe to overcome in such a short period of time. And, and honestly, Andy, that's been sort of the theme of not only the NBA season, but certainly the playoffs. A lot of big names have gone down with injuries, and that's affecting the whole thing here. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing the plethora of injuries, you know, to big-name players. And uh, the injury the other night to, to Trey Young – you know, really turn that game. The offense stalled there, and they really don't have anybody that can duplicate his style of play where even a Phoenix Suns team, when Chris Paul went down, Cameron Payne was tremendous with that 29-point game. And the other thing that's really hurting the Hawks at this point is the Bogdanovich injury because he was a major factor in the Philly series, but now six straight games of single-digit games. And in this series, he's averaging seven points a game, shooting 25% from three and 25% from the field. You know, it's really interesting. And, you know, I think of Milwaukee and before the season started, um, obviously Giannis signed his long-term deal. Hard to turn down that money, obviously. It was just too much money. But I was thinking to myself, you know what? He may never win in Milwaukee, even though he's getting all this money. Well, guess what? He might be the last laugh 
on everybody because he's going to get his money and potentially win a title. Um, and also Bogdanovich was supposed to go to Milwaukee and then he ends up down in Atlanta and here they are playing each other. So, you know, Milwaukee, I mean, there was a lot of questions about them going into the season and here they are one of the final four and very likely will be one of the final two very shortly. Well, we know the saying better to be lucky than good. Yeah. They got a huge, huge, huge break with the Harden and Irving injuries. I mean, Anybody knows that if that team is healthy, that's not a competitive series, and Milwaukee's not sniffing the championship. No, you're 100% correct about that. That's why I keep saying injuries have been really the theme. And, and listen, LeBron was criticized for a lot of things before the season, during the season, and even after the season. But you know what, Andy? He was right. Maybe they rushed too many things. Maybe that's why there's been so many injuries. I'm sure they'll do studies on this for the next God knows how long. But it's funny, there's been some bad luck, too. Look at the Trey Young injury the other night. He steps on the referee's foot. Even the LeBron injury in the regular season, you know, he had a player roll over his ankle. That had nothing to do uh, with coming back, you know, off a short layoff in the previous season. Yeah, so a lot of it's been bad luck, too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk. There's so many things going on in the NBA besides just the final four teams. We'll talk about uh, the draft lottery in just a moment also, but – the coaching carousel, it's been really interesting. You know, over the last, I'd say, week, uh, Portland is, you know, and I think it's been made official, Chauncey Billups is going to go out to Portland. Indiana is being reunited with Rick Carlisle. I mean, that's sort of strange where a coach was there earlier, then he went down and had good success down in Dallas, won a title, obviously. And now he's coming back to Indiana. And Boston brings in Ime Odoka, and I'm sure I butchered his name, and really, he was on the Bulls shortlist before Billy Donovan made himself available, you know, to come over from Oklahoma City. Uh, and, but there's four more teams that have openings, Andy. Washington's got an opening. New Orleans has got an opening. Orlando's got an opening. And Dallas, I don't know if they've made it official, but Jason Kidd will probably be their co uh, coach going forward. Um, I thought the interesting move was Carlisle leaving the Dallas situation where he's got a superstar. And I think the move to in Indiana was more – of a, a, a personal move and, and, and liking the town and liking the organization. They've, they've got a solid nucleus there with Sabonis and Turner and Karis Levert and Brogdon. So certainly not a terrible situation. Uh, Billups, I really wasn't impressed with his analysis uh, on ESPN. So, you know, I, I, I've got my doubts there. Well, apparently somebody else, more importantly than you, no offense to you, has his doubts because Damon Lillard, Damon Lillard, uh, Lillard rather, has said, you know, he didn't really like how the coaching selection process, I don't really know what he means, has gone about, you know, hiring Billups. And I don't even know if he knows Billups. It would seem to be a coach that he would be able to get along with a, a, a similar kind of player when he was playing back in the day. So, I mean, that's something to keep your eye on going out uh, west. Yeah, certainly if your superstar says he, he wasn't happy with the process of the of the coaching hiring and maybe not getting enough input, then that's a problem. Yeah, well, why do you suppose, I mean, we don't know because we're not in his head. What do you suppose he means even by that? I can't even figure that one out. Uh, the only thing I could say is they, they didn't ask his input. It, it, you know, because I don't know how well he would know Billups personally and to know how good a coach he was if he wasn't involved in the process actively and had a chance to pick his brain, maybe that's something that bothered him. 
Okay. Well, you know, another story out there uh, in Portland, and by the way, it's still over 100 degrees. Whoever thought it would be over 100 degrees in Portland, <laughs> you know, at this time of the year. But Becky Hammond was also, you know, up for the job out in Portland. And, you know, her story is well known in NBA circles, basketball circles. She's been an assistant coach to under Pop down in San Antonio. She has now been interviewed, I think, more than once, at least once, obviously, with Portland. Didn't get the job out there. You know, I, I, I ask this question realistically. I'm not trying to be chauvinistic or anything else. Do you think men players would be okay with a female head coach? Now, listen, down in San Antonio, the players were very respectful of her and said all good things, but it's a big difference, as they always say. It's 18 inches from that assistant seat to the head seat. How do you think that would work out in the long run? It could possibly be an issue, but I think if someone – shows that they're qualified and really knows their stuff, they will gain the respect of the players. Okay. And, and again, she has gotten the respect of the players in San Antonio, but that's as an assistant, you know, what, as they always say, you know, when the buck stops here, you know, finally at that head coaching thing, I think eventually, I, I don't know. Listen, do you think, do you think she ends up in either Washington, New Orleans or Orlando where the openings are still there? It's certainly a possibility. I'll, I'll say one thing, Dave. We've had plenty of incompetent male coaches in the NBA. Oh, yeah. oh, so, yeah. you know, if she's qualified, give her the job. Well, and, you know, and, and it's just like in baseball. I remember growing up in baseball, I always used to say, oh, my God, this guy's getting recycled, you know, for his fourth job already. In the NBA, it's the same thing. I mean, Jason Kidd and Rick Carlisle have obviously been around the block. Listen, listen the openings in Washington, New Orleans, in Orlando – uh, you know, Scott Brooks could end up with one of those other jobs. Uh, one of the, uh, let's see, um, uh, gosh, you know, who could end up in, in Orlando? Who just recently got, got uh, like Penny the, Hardaway is being. You, you think Penny Hardaway is going to be Orlando? Name being tossed around, yeah. Okay. Yeah. H- how about in Washington? Your guess is as good as mine on that. But I, I will say one thing about these coaching positions, whether it be the NBA, baseball, Maybe not so much the NFL. People act like you need a degree from Harvard no, you don't. To, to know the game. No. If, you, if, if you're bright and you study the subject matter, you can be highly competent. Listen, we're going to talk about Phil Jackson in just a minute on a different subject altogether. But Phil Jackson's strength, besides you know having obviously uh, an agent who got him really good jobs, was surrounded by some of the all-time superstars in basketball, his forte and strength was dealing with personalities. He turned over a lot of the coaching uh, stuff, and I know this firsthand because I saw him here in Chicago, and the same thing out in L.A., obviously, is that his assistant coaches did a lot of the coaching, but he handled the personalities. And listen, you had to be a strong coach to deal with, with a Dennis Rodman, obviously a Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, more on Pippen and Jackson in just a moment. So you're absolutely right. You don't have to have, be a Mensa student in a lot of ways, but you have to have certain intangibles to be a head coach in the NBA. Sure. And you you know, in Chicago, there was a problem there with Jim Boylan and not being able to really communicate and deal with the players. That's certainly, you know, a, a big part of the job these days. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, I saw Tom Thibodeau up close for about six or seven years before, you know, he moved on. What are you seeing out of him that are his strengths as a head coach? Because obviously he was coach of the year with the Knicks and and did a really good job with the New York franchise. Well, I think in a way he's mellowed a bit. He's intense, but not to the level in Chicago. And I think he knows that 
he's got to be more of a communicator along with the X's and O's. Yeah, he also has to get along with uh, the hierarchy even above him. And I think he got a little lucky, even though James Dolan has been known to be a meddler. And you can tell me differently, Andy, if, if I'm incorrect about this. But I think James Dolan was so busy with other things this past season that maybe he didn't have the time to meddle with, with the Knicks as much. Am, am I off base on that I, one? I think he had more of a trust in Leon Rose and the staff than he hired. Okay, more fair than enough. That. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, the coaching job down in New Orleans, though, how how attractive is that job? You know, again, you got Zion, who's one of the up-and-coming, obviously, superstars of the game. You got Ingram. You also have Lonzo Ball potentially still. So, but how attractive of a job is that? And they're going to have a high draft choice themselves here. Well, super attractive. Just like the Boston job, when you have Brown and Tatum in place, if you have Zion and Ingram in place, you're talking about a 21-year-old and a 23-year-old, super attractive job because they know those players are far from reaching their ceiling yet. Absolutely. All right. We talked about the Knicks. We talked about Tom Thibodeau. We talked about Lonzo Ball. Let's bring that all full circle here. I keep reading more and more and more that if Lonzo Ball and his father basically still speaks for him, unfortunately, at least I think it is, that he wants to end up at Madison Square Garden playing for the Knicks. What's the word out of New York? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about that. My hesitation as far as Lonzo, he's not the classic point guard in terms of a guy that's going to constantly get into the lane and break down the defense like Kyrie and and uh, Lillard and Curry and, and, and Trey Young. Um, you know, shockingly, he's averaged one free throw per game for his career, which means he's not getting into the lane and drawing fouls. He's shot, I believe, about 60% of his attempts from three. So to me, that's a bit of a red flag. I want a guy that can get into the lane and cause havoc and, and be able to kick and draw to, to the open three-point shooters. Well, you know one of my all-time favorite point guards was Rod Strickland. That's the kind of point guard that I would ever want, or yeah. Maurice Cheeks or somebody of that ilk. But, you know, it, it's interesting when Lonzo – we talk about Lonzo Ball because – he was so vilified and criticized for his outside shooting. And let's face it, he was horrible. He couldn't throw the ball in the ocean from the boat. However, that is one area where he greatly improved. And I'm wondering if he concentrated so much on that, that his other parts of the game, including, you know, uh, distributing the basketball, he was under seven assists for, for a game this past season. If that all disintegrated at least a little bit because he was so concentrating on his outside shot. Well, I think the other factor that came into play is that, Zion was initiating the offense. That's true. So that that took away from ball and and coaching matters. If if I'm coaching Lonzo, I'm telling him I want you to break down the defense. It's great that you've been able to now knock down threes, but as a point guard, you've got to break down the defense and create opportunities for teammates. Okay, let's talk about another point guard who unfortunately has also been vilified and and he didn't make it past the second round and they were the top seed in the Eastern Conference. And we're talking about the 76ers and Ben Simmons specifically. And, and I think you and I have had this discussion in the past. You know, there's always been discussions, oh, Ben Simmons will be traded to the Bulls. And I always used to say, I don't want a guy who can't shoot free throws. You know, at the end of the game, games are won or lost at the free throw line. And unfortunately, Ben Simmons' uh, reputation took a real hit in this postseason because not only could he not shoot free throws, he couldn't shoot from the outside. 
and he didn't want to shoot at the end of games. It was well-documented. He did not attempt a shot in the last four games of a seven-game series. What do you think goes on forward with him? And did Doc's comments, at least right after the game, where he said, well, I don't know if we can fix him, basically, that's what he said. How's that going to hurt You know, the whole scenario with Ben Simmons? Look, one thing I'll say, uh, his shooting will always fall on his shoulders. Yeah. But the coaching staff and the management over the years have been enablers. Now they've got to get to the point where not only they fix his shot, but they say, you've got to shoot in games. I mean, there are videos out there of summer workouts where he's taking step back threes. He's taking fadeaways from the baseline. Look, the only way you get confidence shooting the shot in games is putting the shots up. You look back at Rajon Rondo, who uh, Doc Rivers has talked about winning a championship with in Boston, but nobody brought up to Doc that Rondo was the fourth best player of that team, and he was playing with three future Hall of Famers. Simmons is the number two guy there playing with only one Hall of Famer. And if you look back at Rondo early in his career, I'm talking about the first five or six years, he shot 20% from three, and he hardly ever shot from three, but eventually... He developed a perimeter game. Not great, but to, the, but to the point where he was serviceable from the perimeter and from three. And that's what Simmons has to do. All right, so Ben Simmons is obviously a great talent overall. I mean, he's got a lot of uh, um, traits that would be very attractive to not only the Sixers, but other teams. But unfortunately, like I said, he got so vilified and, and even got knocked down by his coach, even though Doc probably got, you know, heard a mouthful from his uh from his higher ups and then changed his stance a little bit about a day or two after that. I mean, I don't see them having any, well, I shouldn't say no trade value, but I don't see them having the trade value if they even wanted to trade him right now because of what happened. Do you? I still think with the, uh, the other skill sets there that the trade value still would be pretty high. Now, if a team comes calling, you know, they're interested and that's up to Philly, you know, to make the right deal for themselves. All right. Do you think it can still work with both him and Embiid? Because let's just say they, you know, get on his case and he says, "Okay, well, now I got to start shooting the basketball." Listen, I don't think Embiid really likes it if he doesn't have the ball in his hand shooting the basketball himself. If Ben can start shooting mid-range shots and occasionally from three, I think it works out fine. By the way, the other uh, weakness in in Doc Rivers' argument with Rondo is back in two thousand eight. NBA teams weren't putting up 43s a game, and you didn't need the type of spacing you need now with Simmons. Okay. All right. Ben Simmons is uh, a six, what is he, 6'9", six, 6'10"? Six, what is six, he? 6'10". Okay, 6'10". Cade Cunningham, who's going to be the number one draft pick out of uh, uh, Oklahoma State, and he's going to go to the Pistons, obviously. They won the lottery. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Cade Cunningham is known to be, I don't know, sort of a Ben Simmons kind of player. He's known as basically a really, really, really tall point guard. However, he shot 40% from three in college. And so obviously this kid could shoot the basketball. Yeah, a, a, a totally different player. Kate Cunningham exudes confidence when he shoots the ball. Kate Cunningham wants the ball in crunch time. And Kate Cunningham makes big shots. Okay, let's talk about the draft lottery. Detroit obviously won it. 
Ben, uh, ben Wallace did not look, look like, as exuberant as I thought he might when they won the draft lottery. Although I've been around Ben Wallace, you know, when he was signed as a free agent with the Bulls. He's not the most exuberant guy anyway. But Detroit won it. Houston is second. Cleveland third. Toronto fourth. Followed by Orlando, Oklahoma City, Golden State, and Orlando again. And we'll talk about the Bulls gambling and losing. I know that's one of your favorite subjects. <laughs> But it, it sure looks like, and tell me if I'm wrong, Detroit will go obviously for Cunningham because he fits like a glove into the, what they're trying to do there right now. Evan Mobley will be the second pick you know, from USC. He'll go to Houston. They haven't had a really good center for a long, long time. Well, actually, they did. They had Katina Mobley did a good job down there, but he'll obviously be the center going forward. Will, will Cleveland go with Jalen Green? Um or is there a scenario where they can go after Jalen Suggs, although they don't really need him? You know, I'm not totally convinced the draft goes in this order. Uh, most likely Cunningham, number one. I know when I watched Cunningham, the one thing that kind of stood out to me was there wasn't that wow factor. Really talented player, but he doesn't have the shiftiness off the dribble that the high-level NBA players have. Even the comparison to Doncic. Doncic is incredibly shifty off the dribble. But then again, you know, when you see someone in a college setting, it could be different from the pros. Uh, as far as Suggs and Green, I, I still think Green has a shot to go number two because of this current NBA and, and the importance of having guys on the wing that can, that can really put the ball on the floor and shoot from long range. He's a super athletic guy. I think the workouts could possibly change the order of the draft. All right, did you see the rumor out of Golden State earlier today? About Wiseman and Siakam? What, Wiseman and uh, either the number, I'm sure they'd rather have the number 14 because they have both 7 and 14, but Wiseman and number 7 to Toronto for Siakam or maybe somewhere else. Is that a wise idea for them to give up that quickly on Wiseman? I wouldn't do it. Um, Neither would Siak I. Siakam's taking a step back. Obviously, you know, he would be a great addition to that lineup immediately. But my feeling is if Clay Thompson comes back 100%, which you need anyway, and you have Curry and you have Green, you have enough high-level talent to be a title contender. And Siakam now is about 27 years old and Wiseman is 19 years old. I don't make that deal. Neither do I. And and why why are they so down on Wiseman? I didn't get to see that much of him. I'll be honest with you. But he still, obviously, was a very, very, very high draft pick. He had a really good, uh, before he came to the NBA, you know, before, you know, a brief but good career even before the NBA. He could be a DeAndre Ayton kind of player. Um, why Why didn't he pan out? Why, why are they so down on him? I don't understand. Yeah, I, I'm not buying they're down on him. I think those are stories to click on the internet. So I, I'm, I'm really not buying that. I think... He's got a really good skill set. He's extremely long, could be a, a, a real shot blocker. He has the ability to take the ball off the glass and, and go the length of the court with it. And again, he's just a baby. And remember, he barely played in college, and he actually didn't play a lot this year. So, I mean, he, he's light years away from being a fully developed player. Yeah, 100%. And when you have all that outside shooting, especially if Thompson comes back along with Curry and, and, and even Wiggins – I mean, you got a guy who's seven feet in the middle. He should be. He's never going to get. Well, I don't think he'll get double teamed in the post. You know, I, I could see that guy eventually developing. And by the way, he's the next 
he's the next generation of the 70 of uh, of the Golden State Warriors. So I'm I'm in 100 percent agreement with you. I'm not trading him. As a matter of fact, when you think about when Curry Thompson and Green on are on the floor, Wiseman will be great as a rim roller like DeAndre Ayton has been with Chris Paul. So I think it would be foolish to make that trade. All right. Again, talking about the lottery uh, here in Chicago, the Bulls were praying, but the odds were against them. You know, I hate to laugh a little bit, but the odds were against them. They had a 20 percent chance of moving into the top four. They didn't, obviously. So, you know, I know you've been down on them repeatedly saying it was a gamble that was not worth taking. And, you know, in talking well, no, about no, no, no. it wasn't a gamble. It was a bad trade. <laughs> All right. Well, is it still a gamble? Yeah. But it was a bad trade. And so you keep saying, and I agree with you more and more as I as I go back into his own history, Vucevic, though he's had good numbers in his almost 10 years. By the way, he's on the other side of 30 now. So he's not he's not a spring chicken. But he's only had one winning season in the NBA. And as you correctly pointed, it was at 42 and 40, and they didn't really go anywhere. And, and, play, and playing with Aaron Gordon. That's right. And he has been surrounded by other talents, by the way. Right. And, uh, so, I, you know, I don't know what the Bulls are going to do. I, I you know, and I know you're not an expert on the Bulls and, and you know, to small, small degree, maybe I might be, but they're going to have to figure out a way of fortifying their roster and getting a point guard. And the only way I can see them doing that is shelling out more money than they probably want to for maybe a guy like Mike Conley, who's also on the other side of 30 and has had injuries. But even in doing that, you're going to have to renounce your rights or do a sign and trade of some sort uh, with Lowry Markkinen. You're probably going to have to dump Thad Young, which they don't want to do. But if you need the money to sign a guy like Conley, I don't know what else they're going to do, Andy. Has the name Reggie Jackson come up because he's had a heck of a playoff series. Yeah, he has. And that's that's certainly a lesser price. You're right and, about that. And a younger player. And a younger player. Listen, I don't know how they feel about that. And by the way, Arturis Karnishevis, who is, you know, obviously the new architect here in Chicago, he is absolutely, you you cannot, bamboo shoots under his fingernails. You just can't get anything out of this guy. And he's never makes himself really available either. So I don't know what they're going to do. But um, it's really interesting. Zach Levine, of course, made the new Olympic team. We'll talk about that also here. And he's really excited uh, to be on that Olympic team. And why not? He wants to play with other great players. And he wants to because he's never in his seven years in the NBA sniffed the playoffs, not once. He wants to see what success is at a very high level. So I'm, I'm happy for Zach Levine. You know, it's really interesting when I take a look at that Olympic roster, though. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. They really don't have any prototypic centers on that roster. Did you find that peculiar or not? No, not not in this era of small ball. They they have enough talent, you know, on the wings and such, where it'll be hard to match up against them. Well, that's true. You always wonder, like, do don't they need one guy to bang? I guess Kevin Lunk Love can bang. Um, I'm trying to think who else they have. Uh, obviously, Durant can go inside the post. He's a seven footer, but that's not really his forte. Uh, you know, you always, you know, listen, I think they, they have enough talent. They're going to blow out anybody no matter what. But if they get into a matchup with some guy who's a seven footer, you know, from one of the Eastern European countries, Yugoslavia, Spain, what have you, that you don't know if they, you know, they might have a matchup problem of their own. Well, I'll make the NBA comparison. The Nets, as we said, if they stayed healthy, they probably would have won the NBA championship with Blake Griffin and Nicholas Claxton as their center. So, I don't think a collection of high-level 
NBA players without a center will still have, you know, much of a problem. No, you're absolutely, you're right about that. I, you know, listen, being jingoistic, I always worry about something like that. All right, last topic here. And we talked about Phil Jackson earlier. We also talked about Scottie Pippen. Ironically, Scottie Pippen has been making the rounds. He was on the Dan Patrick show earlier today, again, being Monday. And he basically called Phil Jackson a racist. He said, you know, that they went to that one situation against the Knicks. I'm sure you remember this game. And I, I, sure, I, was, I, watched I was right there at courtside. So it was almost like right in front of me when Scotty decided not to go into the game uh, because the shot wasn't going to go to him. So he, you know, opted out of being in the game. The play was called for Tony Kukoc to take a shot. It was an incredible shot, by the way. It was a basically fall back, whatever it was, 20 footer. From the top know, of the key. Yeah, you know, for actually from, from the side even a little bit. And, and it went into the basket, yada, yada, yada. And so Scotty said today and over the last couple of days that he thought that he deserved that shot because Michael Jordan wasn't there, yada, yada, yada. Well, that's a crock of shit. I mean, can I say that on a top podcast? I just did. If I get beat up, so be it. But anyway, that's just a crock. And then, then, then coming up with the additional thing, saying that Phil Jackson is a racist because he went with the white player to take the shot. I mean, I don't know where he's coming from, Andy. Either either he's having a meltdown, he's trying to sell his book in advance. I don't know where he's coming from. Yeah. I, I mean, know. either way, he's dug himself a deep hole because if he really believes Phil is a racist, why does he wait 25 years to all of a sudden take that public? And the flip side, as you said, if he's doing it to sell books, well, <laughs> that's not a great uh, character guy if, if that's his motivation. No, and, and even, you know, in, in some of these uh, interviews, that he's called Michael Jordan selfish. He's called, you know, listen, he's called Michael Jordan uh, uh, quite a few other derogatory terms over the recent couple of days here. Again, I can almost understand if he's doing it to maybe sell some books down the road. But listen, that's not going to go over well in the basketball community. It just won't. Yeah. And by the way, going back to that final play in that playoff series, he even said on the last dance he he would do the same thing again. So, you know, I don't know if, if it's a way of trying to defend what he did. But, uh, you know, I can recall growing up as a 76er fan, game six of the 1977 finals, Trailblazers and Sixers, Doc had 40 points. Gene Shu calls the play for George McGinnis. But Doc being... The character guy that he is never said a bad word about Gene Shue. Because you know what? The jersey says Sixers and Bulls, not Chicago Pippins. Yeah, absolutely correct. Um, again, Scotty's had a, a tough year. He's gone through a divorce. Uh, he lost his first child uh, who died a couple of months ago. Um, so, listen, there's been a lot of things that have been going on in his life. But, you know, it's almost like he's like a wrestler, they say turning heel, going, you know, to the bad side, if you will. It's almost like that's what he's doing. And again, he is trying to sell a book in advance, but some, some of these things that he's saying are just too outrageous to even be, you know, thrown out there. And you know what, Dave, making those comments to me just makes his life more complicated, not, not, not simpler. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Andy, on that note, we will wrap this one up. Look forward to talking to you again. Appreciate you as always. A pleasure as usual. Love talking hoops with you, buddy. 